namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami this is the uh, new edition of Paticca Samupada, the Buddhist teaching on dependent origination by Somdet Prabuddha Gosacharya, Venerable Payutobhiku. This one's translated by Robin Moore. So this is a, that's a, a recent edition. The, um, uh, the previous edition is this one, also called Dependent Origination. Same author, uh, different translators. This this has been in print for quite a number of years. Uh, this was translated by uh, the former Bhikkhu Puriso, um, Bruce Evans, uh, and he was the one who translated quite a lot of Ajahn Chah's um, Dhamma books. Uh, he was responsible for, uh, I think, most of Taste of Freedom, uh, all of Living Dhamma, all of Food from the Heart. That's all uh, Bruce Evans's. Uh, translations when he was Puriso, uh, when he was Ajahn Puriso, um, and then so this edition has been has been done uh, because uh, the this particular set of teachings is, is one chapter of a large tome called Buddha Dhamma, uh, again written by a venerable um, Somdep Prat Buddha Gosacharya, uh, the same uh, the same monk. And uh, this is a, a fantastically comprehensive uh, compendium of teachings. Uh, and this is just one chapter of that tome. So this is just chapter four. And um, I'll, I'll read the introduction uh, to give a, a little, little bit of a background to how this particular edition came into being. This is very good. And I've often put, talked about this particular book as the the most um, sort of clear and comprehensive explanation of dependent origination that you can get in English, most reliable and readable and um, uh, and helpful, um, you know, practical. And so this is a, a new edition. I'm not so familiar with this uh, with uh, Robin Moore's translation. Um, so this is also uh, an exploration for me. I'm, I'm very familiar with this uh, Bruce Evans translation. I've used that for m- many many years. But I thought I would share this all with you, also because Robin uh, was a former Ajahn Suryo. He was, a, again, a monk in our community for a long time. He lives in Thailand, and his main work is now translating the um, the teachings and the writings of Venerable Payuto, Somdet uh, Buddha Gosacharya, uh, into uh, into English. So that's his, his livelihood nowadays, is uh, as a, a translator. And it's in this very large format, the big, big print. <laughs> so those of you who got uh, uh, weakening eyes, it's very, very friendly uh, for the uh, for the those for whom small print is not easy. Uh, also, this edition, the pages tend to fall out. It's, it's a badly printed, phys- a physically badly printed. The content is great, but the physical structure of the book is a Nietzsche. <laughs> The law of Anicca is very clearly manifest in the, the pages drop out very easily. Uh, this was sponsored by Kun Sirichan Birombakti. She's just passed away um, in recent months. She was in her 90s. And I think she said, please do it with big print <laughs> so, so I can read it. <laughs> so that's my suspicion, because it's a very big format for a, 
a, a Dharma book. Um, but uh, my suspicion is that Kunsiri Jan wanted to be able to read it herself, and so being in her 80s when she sponsored it, she, um, I, again, Tati Yampi, I suspect she said, please do it in the big print so, so it's easy to read. And also the pages don't fall out either. So this is the preface written by um, ex Ajahn Suryo, Robin Moore. The teaching on dependent origination has a reputation for being intricate, subtle, and abstruse. When I was a monk, it took me 14 years to delve into this subject. Until that point, I'd been content with Venerable Ajahn Chah's reflection as found in the recorded talk, The Key to Liberation. And this is Ajahn Chah speaking here. You have, and uh, in this uh, Key to Liberation, Ajahn Chah was giving a, a long Dhamma talk to uh, uh, the students of an academic monk from Bangkok, who was a famous um, uh, you know, writer and a, a teacher from, uh, from Bangkok. And so he was well known as a Buddhist intellectual. And so um, the, the theme of a lot of the key to liberation is like, the bridge between intellectual understanding and, and the practice of Dhamma. You have already, already studied and read about dependent origination in the books. And what's set out there is correct, as far as it goes. But in reality, you're not able to keep up with the process as it actually occurs. It's like falling out of a tree. In a flash, you've fallen all the way from the top of the tree and hit the ground, and you have no idea how many branches you passed on the way down. When the mind experiences a mind object and is attracted to it, all of a sudden you find yourself experiencing a good mood, and without being aware of the causes and conditions which led up to it, of course, on one level, the process happens according to the theory described in the strict scriptures, but at the same time, it goes beyond the limitations of the theory. In reality, there are no signs telling you that now it's ignorance, now it's volitional formations, then it's consciousness, now it's mind and body, and so on. These scholars who see it like that don't get the chance to read out the list as the process is taking place. Although the Buddha analyzed one moment of consciousness and described all the different component parts, to me, it's more like falling out of a tree. Everything happens so fast, you don't have time to reckon how far you've fallen or where you are at any given moment. What you know is that you hit the ground with a thud and it hurts. So it carries on with Robin's introduction here. When I did begin to study this teaching in more detail, I had the good fortune of reading Bruce Evans's translation of Chapter 4 of Buddha Dhamma, Venerable P.A. Payuto, uh, titled Dependent Origination, The Buddhist Law of Conditionality, which is that book I was just showing you. As part of the project to translate Buddha Dhamma in its entirety, complete title, Buddha Dhamma, The Laws of Nature and Their Benefits to Life, uh, I knew that at some point within the next two years I would be tackling this subject and preparing a new translation of this chapter. However, knowing that this chapter is the most difficult of all the 22 chapters in the book, I was happy to leave it for later. It happened, though, that Kunsirichan Viron Bhakti made a request last year to sponsor one more book, following the two previous volumes, The Three Signs and Nibbana, The Supreme Peace. And Dependent Origination was the chapter of her choice. So she sponsored uh, another couple of books that uh, Robin uh, put into English, and that... Um, you also can find copies of around uh, Amravati. So the two previous volumes, The Three Signs, about Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta, and Nibbana, The Supreme Peace. 
and dependent origination was the chapter of her choice. Therefore, this book has come into being sooner than planned. This is auspicious, as my preceptor, Don Posameto, feels that this is the finest elucidation of dependent origination available, and has asked when the translation may be reprinted. Characteristic to his inclusive and integrative style, Venerable Paiuto has based this explanation of dependent origination on sources in the Pali Suttas, and then woven in references from the Abhidhamma and the commentaries to present a complementary whole. My thoughts of gratitude and deep respect go primarily to Venerable Paiuto. Besides remaining a beacon of wisdom and compassion and continuing to entrust this translation project to my hands, he's repeatedly and promptly answered my questions and doubts about the translation work, despite him being burdened by a debilitating physical illness. Second, my gratitude goes to Venerable Ajahn Jayasaro, who spent literally days going over the manuscript of this book with me in great detail. His insights, suggestions and corrections have been invaluable. Although he knew that there was a time a time pressure to try and finish this book before the Vesak celebration, he would not settle for anything less than accuracy and excellence. Finally, I extend my gratitude to Venerable Goesako, uh, who is a monk generally living at Chithurst, who, with his erudition uh, and keen eyes, helped to proofread the manuscript. He's a, quite a Pali scholar, so he was helping out with this too. Note that this book is one chapter of Buddha Dhamma, and as such there are references to other chapters. May all beings who approach this doorway to the Dhamma realize perfect peace. And also Venerable Paiuta, his, uh, his English is, is really very, very good. He taught at Swarthmore College in the United States for some time. And um, so he, uh, it's, it's a great advantage that he could then discuss the translation of particular terms with, with Robin and, and previously with, with Bruce and also with Ajahn Jayasaro. So it's a very collaborative effort in trying to find the the mot juste, the exact uh, perfect words to represent different, uh, different aspects of the teaching. So any questions before we carry on? Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, we do have quite a few copies of, uh, of Buddha Dhamma. It really is, well, I'm not exaggerating, it really is <laughs> it's that thick, it's, it's huge. Um, uh, but it is extraordinarily comprehensive. And it's, it's, in Thailand, it's somewhat replacing Visuddhimagga as a sort of standard reference text for as a, a Buddhist compa- a compendium, of, a compendium of Buddhist knowledge. And, um, and it's, in, in a way, far more reliable, I would say, than um, Visuddhimagga as uh, the Venerable uh, Payuto, as Somdit Buddha uh, Gosachan, is, uh, is very much a practitioner and a, medi- and a meditator, as well as a, a, a highly accomplished scholar. So this uh, is uh, the introduction to, uh, to the book. And also I should mention that this isn't divided into chapters in quite the same way as this one. So this is just represented as one chapter from Buddha Dhamma. So it's not, uh, it's not divided up. Uh, so if you're comparing this translation with this one, you might have a bit of a struggle, like, oh, where are we and, and where have we got to? So I'll mention as we go along which chapter things match up with. I had to do a bit of, of, of checking myself today just to, to figure out how it all fits together. So this is from the introduction of, uh, of, the, uh, of the, the, the book written by the author. Basic definitions for the term Paticca Samuppada include dependent origination, dependent co-origination, and, quote, the origin of suffering dependent on co-conditionality. 
There are also many others that condition co-production um, and uh, yeah, many, many different uh, and various um, ways it's rendered. Uh, paticha means conditioned or, or one thing affecting another. Sam means together and upada means arising. So then people put those together in these various different ways. The Buddha presented the teaching of dependent origination, Paticca Samuppada, in two ways. General presentations, which do not specify each factor of the process, and detailed presentations, listing each factor in a connected sequence. The general presentation usually occurs preceding the detailed presentation. The detailed presentation is found frequently in the scriptures, usually alone and without the general presentation. It expands on the general presentation, describing and analyzing each factor of dependent origination. So, as the general one is the kind of short synopsis, um, and then the, um, the, the detailed or applied presentation, that appears in many and various different forms uh, throughout the canon. So the general presentation is, when this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. And the Pali of that, if you're interested, is Imasming sati idang hoti, imas upada idang upajati, imasming asati idang nahoti, imasming nirodha idang nirujati. You won't be tested on that. But the, the, and so also Ajahn Tanisaro, uh, Venerable Tanisaro, Ajahn, Ajahn Jeff, uh, uh, he has an interesting analysis of that in, um, uh, in a number of his teachings, uh, particularly in his book, um, the, the Wings to Awakening. And he talks about this sort of representing two aspects of, of, um, the conditioning process. Uh, so you can, you know, if you wish to follow that up, you can read about that there, about how things are connected so sort of synchronously in the, in the same moment and how things are connected across time. The detailed or applied presentation is, with ignorance as condition, there are volitional formations. With volitional formations as condition, there is consciousness. With consciousness as condition, there is mind and body. With mind and body as condition, there are the six sense bases. With the six sense bases as condition, there is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. With feeling as condition, there is craving. With craving as condition, there is clinging. With clinging as condition, there is becoming. With becoming as condition, there is birth. With birth as condition, there is aging and death. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair thus come to be. Such is the origin of this whole mass of suffering. With the remainderless abandonment and cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of volitional formations. With the cessation of volitional formations, cessation of consciousness. With the cessation of consciousness, cessation of mind and body. With the cessation of mind and body, cessation of the six sense bases. With the cessation of the six sense bases, cessation of contact. With the cessation of contact, cessation of feeling. With the cessation of feeling, cessation of craving. With the cessation of craving, cessation of clinging. With the cessation of clinging, cessation of becoming. With the cessation of becoming, cessation of birth. With the cessation of birth, the cessation of aging and death. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair all, all cease. Such is the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. And there's numerous, numerous places where you find that in the, in the canon. 
Both of these formats can be divided into two parts, the process of origination and the process of cessation. The first sequence, the process of origination, is called the cycle of origination, Samudaya Vara. It's also known as the forward sequence, Anuloma Paticca and is equivalent to the second noble truth, the origin of suffering, Dukkha Samudaya. The latter sequence is called the cycle of cessation, Nirodavara, or the reverse sequence, Patiloma Paticca It corresponds to the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering. So those of you who were uh, around with the earlier readings and uh, will, re- will possibly remember that loma means hair, like the, the fur of an animal or the, the hair on your, your skin. And anuloma means with the grain of the hair. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, and then patiloma is against the grain of the hair. So if, uh, if you're stroking a cat or a dog, you, know, you stroke in the direction that the hair goes. And so then uh, that's the arising part of it. And the, um, the patiloma is against the grain, uh, against the loma, uh, the, the hair of the body, uh, the fur. And so that it's a very uh, sort of natural kind of household sort of term that is being used to describe these philosophical or, uh, experiential principles. The closing statements of the detailed presentation indicate that dependent origination deals with the origin and cessation of suffering. Most of the scriptural references to dependent origination end with these statements. There are, however, passages that end with the origin and cessation of the world, loka. This bhikkhus, this is a quotation, this bhikkhus is the origin of the world, this bhikkhus is the cessation of the world. In such a way the world originates, in such a way the world ceases. Here the words suffering and world are interchangeable, which will be explained below. It's also uh, just uh, uh, the use of the word, um, uh, say, and he also explains it uh, again. He's a very good uh, expounder and explainer of things. So when uh, uh, it says um, conditions, so that when mind and body condition the six senses, that word condition, it doesn't mean A causes B or that you know, A is the sole source uh, and B is the result of, of things happening at that source. It, it uh, the word pachaya means it affects. They are related. They're connected in some way. And again, he does mention it um, in the in the Abhidhamma. They spell out twenty four different ways that one thing affects another. So when we do the funeral chanting, we we recite some of the Abhidhamma verses. So the one we do, the hetu pachayo, aramana pachayo, adipadi pachayo. That's the twenty four condition. They're called conditional relations. How one thing affects another. When you read the English translation of those 24 ways of things affecting each other, often you might as well be reading Pali, in my, my humble opinion. It's very difficult to understand exactly what is trying to be indicated. So that does th- those 24 different kinds of conditional relations do need to be spelled out to, to make sense, because the, the, the English can be a bit sort of hard to penetrate, and it doesn't, it's not obvious what it, what it means. Uh, uh, all the time, but uh, it, for the moment, it's just helpful to, to recognise it's not A causes B, B causes C, C causes D, but it's saying these different factors are, are interrelated and connected in various uh, various ways and with various nuances. And then, uh, so then, another thing to say about dukkha. Uh, again, I probably mentioned this before, but uh, it's worth 
re, re, uh, uh, um, sort of reviewing because he uses the, the, the translation suffering here. Uh, Ajahn Tanisaro uses the word stress. So that dukkha is one of those words it's kind of impossible to translate perfectly uh, because happiness is also dukkha. You know, uh, being, being loved and being successful is also dukkha because it's a, it's a state. It arises and it passes away. So you know, we wouldn't say, well, happiness is suffering. I should, well, even though I, I was asked to give a talk on that <laughs> to, to a, a group in, uh, based in Thailand called uh, Happiness is Suffering in Disguise. Or, uh, uh, but uh, the, the word dukkha, it uh, represents the quality of, um, uh, say, imperfection or unownability things can't be owned they can't be kept they can't be permanently satisfying so it doesn't just mean things that are painful or disappointing immediately but it's how happiness or, or success or being loved and praised is also dukkha even though I think, well that's i like that ajahn <laughs> it's that it's dukkha because that that uh, that happy feeling that that quality of success or, or brightness it can't sustain itself and so that uh, if the mind grasps that and, and tries to own it and keep it, it's taking refuge in that which is n- not reliable. It's, it's seeking reliability and uh, and fulfillment in that which can't fulfill. It's seeking for satisfaction in that which can't satisfy. So, ergo, it's it's dukkha. It's uh, so the the word itself comes from the again a very sort of household image. So the du means bad or wrong or imbalanced or uh, uh, incomplete. Um, like su means good or positive or, or balanced. Du is its opposite. Uh, the uh, akka is connected, uh, as I understand it, to the English word axle, uh, the, which is the, um, the, the, the shaft that a wheel spins around or the axis of, of, uh, of uh, something like uh, the central... Um, uh, say the center of a circle uh, you know, uh, that, uh, or the, the, uh, a central line so akka is uh, the image of, of dukkha is du akka so it's like a wheel that's not sitting truly on its axle it's, it's out of balance like a wobbling wheel on your bicycle or on the shopping trolley you know, it's like uh, that the, the wheel is out of kilter and it, it's not turning in, a, in a, a true or balanced way. So again, it's a, it's a very practical, sort of tangible image. So, uh, but it, it's broader than just um, suffering. It, it's a, um, it, it's a, and, and, and in that respect, it's good in our practice to get a feel for that, that uh, to investigate. We're not just trying to make ourselves miserable or <laughs> depressed, like you're not really happy, you know, get over it. But just to say, well. Okay, this is really pleasant. This is exactly what I like. This is this is really delightful. So, so if every conditioned th- thing is dukkha, how is how is this dukkha? And then to notice, oh well, uh, <laughs> the, that was yesterday, and I'm remembering it, and I'm thinking, well, today's a bit grey and soggy, but yesterday was really beautiful. Earlier today, the sun was out. That was a beautiful moment. So, ah, so. Now, the way that this moment feels disappointing or a letdown is because it's in comparison to that sweet, beautiful moment that was yesterday, aha, or earlier on. So that uh, the, again, we're not trying to just look at everything in a sour way, but to get a feeling for what, what dukkha means and that inability to, com- to completely satisfy or completely liberate or to, to be ownable, to be, to be something that can sustain itself. That's, 
part of getting a feeling for what, what dukkha really means. Also, with this respect to the um, the the world, uh, and then the the kind of um, transposition of the world, loka and dukkha. Uh, again, that might seem like a bit of a, a, a life negating or nihilistic attitude. Yeah, the the world is is dukkha. Yeah, that's not very. <laughs> that's a, a very uh, uh, uneco friendly um, attitude. But in this respect, it's the 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 world as in. The, the mind attaching to the world and, and um, the uh, the in the Buddha's expression of things the world is not the, the, you know the planet or the physical universe the world is seeing hearing smelling tasting touching thinking eye ear nose tongue body mind and he says what is the world the eye the ear the nose the tongue the body the mind that is that is the world so it's the the degree to which the mind renders the world as solid real permanent. <laughs> It's creating dukkha. If the world is seen as as anicca dukkha anatta, if that those qualities of the world, the, the sensory, the field of sensory experience is appreciated as being in a state of change, uncertainty, and, and empty, and, and not self, and unable to completely and fully satisfy on its own, then the 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 uh, the world is being seen with, uh, uh, clearly, and so that would be the. So the, the cessation of the world is seeing that the solidity of the world ceasing, the the, the apparent reality or so, or substantial nature of the world ceases, its thingness ceases. So we're still seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, but the mind is not giving that a, 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 a giving imparting to it more substantiality or reality than it, it really possesses. So any. Questions on that or thoughts before I continue? Also, I realized that um, the, uh, a lot of this material we went over with the previous book, but uh, you also probably noticed that most Dhamma talks are about the same things over and over again. <laughs> and the, the Buddha did say, it's because of not understanding four things that you and I and all living beings have had to travel and trudge through this long, long round. Dukkha, the origin of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the way leading to the cessation of dukkha. That's why we keep being born again. That's why we, we've all. Uh, so it's not a lot that we have to learn, but it's needs needs to be learned. Yes. I would like to ask you, can you elaborate a little more about the substantiality? Mm-hmm. What you just said. So the substantiality, it just belongs to. Um, the senses. Well, it, it, like you can say, this this glass appears to be substantial. It's yeah. containing water very successfully. Because you touch it with the senses, with the mind. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the mind saying, this is an, uh, this glass has an absolute existence. This water absolutely exists. It's not seeing that it's um, a, a process of, of nature in a state of change. And that there's uh, there is no permanent, solid, absolute glassness there. The, you know, the 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 material that made this glass was probably sand on a beach somewhere, or sand in a, a sand pit uh, that then got heated up and turned into glass. You know, it's in a state of change. And as Ajahn Chah would say, if you see this as a broken glass, then when when the day comes and the elements are separated, it goes back to 
being in part of the of the, the ground again and its glassness vanishes, then you won't be surprised or disappointed. So uh, similarly, the, the water, the hydrogen and oxygen, oxygen that have come together to make the water now. So I've just drunk some of that water. So that some of that water is now Ajahn Amaro. It went from being water in the glass from the tap and the Hertfordshire water system. It's now me. And then as I'm breathing, some of that water is turning into water vapor and being breathed out into the atmosphere of Hertfordshire. And, and you're breathing it in. So it's becoming all of you. So that's not too nasty. <laughs> Difficult for the vegetarians amongst us to be realizing we're consuming bits of other humans all the time. But uh, that's, the, that's the way nature works. Um, so that substantiality is that the, the mind, uh, and you know, we, we, our senses are inherited from our from animal and sort of pre animal ancestry. You know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. So they, they're built, our senses work by assuming that the world is made of solid things, like things that you can eat, things that are going to eat you, things that might hurt you, things that, you, that might be valuable. Um, and so the senses um, are geared to a, a very conditioned and um, sort of relative level of, uh, of understanding. You know, the, I, I can say, well, this water is just hydrogen, oxygen atoms all bonded together. But if I'm thirsty, it's, <laughs> I don't have to think about that because I'm thirsty. You know, I put this to my mouth, I take a mouthful. And there's a, a refreshed feeling that is the point of drinking it. But the so, and oxygen and everything is just our point of view, how we name the things, how we view them mm-hmm. with the senses itself. Yeah. So, so it's a... Perception of our based on our senses, based on our concept. So we don't view them the way they are. Exactly. We we the world each of us knows is from the human scale. So you know, is this is this big or small? If you were an electron, this would be really really big. If you're if you're a galaxy, it's really small. (laughs) So. We, we 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 name things, we label things according to our our language, our human conditioning, the scale that they're perceived on. Um, but that's but it's if we recognise that these are just uh, notional ways of talking about things, they're they're just designated. Um, it doesn't really matter that we can't know the thing in itself. The, what's it? The German is. Ding an sich, I think is one of those German philosophical terms. Do German speakers here? The thing in itself, ding an sich. Oh, I'm not really a philosopher. So. <laughs> <laughs> Any German philosophers here? No? Okay. I think, yeah, it's called the ding an sich, the thing in itself. From, uh, 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 I think that was the... Um, Critique of pure... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, we can't really know a thing in itself because the means of knowing is through eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and thinking mind. So, but the Buddha's approach was, well, as long as we appreciate that, we, that things can only be known from this conditioned perspective, um, then uh, it doesn't matter if, that uh, uh, it's, it, uh, it's a partial view or it's... it's, uh, it's uh, so affected by the means of perception, 
as long as that's realized, it's only when we take something to be that is good, that is bad, this is beautiful, that's ugly, this, uh, we take our personal judgment as a fixed and absolute reality, then it becomes problematic. So the Buddha's approach is if we see the world as empty, as insubstantial, then the, the mind is able to relate to those, those ways of talking about things, those conventions of speech and, and thought, that uh, it relates to them with, with a, a light touch. We, you know, we hold things, but we don't grasp them. Being a person, the, uh, the duties that we have, the, the language that we speak, and, and so on, that we, we know these are only partial conditioned qualities, then we still use the conventions of the world, use the language to talk about things, but uh, the, 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 we're not taking those words or those ideas or those forms as anything absolute. We're not giving them a, a, a false substantiality or solidity. And I have one more question. When you look at the mental factors, most of the time I do perceive the forms and I am adding the mental factors wherever which I am more like um, the habitual one, yeah? Um, actually, what is this, what is spotting the mental factors? Do they have the characteristic, color, shape, this dynamic aspect? How, how one is... Um, contemplating the mental factors mm-hmm. itself, how they, um, how they manifest, how they shape and... The, the, there's different ways of talking about that. Um, the uh, Terms like wise reflection, yoniso manasikara, uh, or satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom, they, they, or vijja, awakened awareness. They're all uh, aspects of that capacity of the mind to be a, to be aware, to know, and then to recognize how patterns, uh, how things relate to each other in a, in certain lawful patterns. The the um, the way that nature operates. The, what's called dhamma niyamata, the 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 patterned nature or the lawful nature of of reality, of how things work. So, uh, wise reflection or Dhamma Vijaya, uh, Venerable's name, Dhamma Vijaya, means investigation of reality, or um, mindfulness and wisdom, Satipanya. There's all to re- referring to that, that same area of aspects of the mind that are uh, observing sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch and then recognizing how things function in relationship to each other, the causal relationships, how nature works. So the mental factors are the side effect of whatever we perceive. No, the, well, the mental factors, they, to me, the mental factors operate everything. Oh? Well, I wouldn't say that they, they don't operate. You know, no, depends okay. what you mean by operate. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they observe how things work, and then they are also they're affected by the language that we speak, the, the memories that we have, the experience that we that we have. It puts them together, and so it's a combination of our brain functions, our mental functions and perceptions of me- remembering things, uh, remembering the names for things, um, 
And you know, our brains make a best guess of what's happening moment by moment. So that's part of that is is the the functions of sanya, perception, and then sankara, like thinking and memory and language. So sanya and sankara, but the, that which is actually recognizing how it all fits together and how it works, those are the the more uh, say reflective or wise qualities of, of mindfulness and wisdom or wise reflection investigation so the 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 basic perception of what's going on is one thing but the 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 uh, the element of inve- uh, of investigation and wisdom that's uh, that's comes with the development of of uh, spiritual practice and and you know one of the aspects of meditation is strengthening that ability of the mind to to see how things the the, the patterning of experience and how things work the, the cause and effect relationship of of the natural order so that because uh, uh, you know, or human beings and animals you know uh, the whole animal world in, and probably quite a lot of the plant world <laughs> functions with with perceptions and 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 they have to have really a really good perceptual system to stay alive and look after themselves and feed and you know, procreate and so on so the whole living world has got very sort of active and as uh, and uh, efficient perceptual systems seeing hearing smelling tasting touching in the animal world but what we in the human the human realm um, in the human condition we have this extra potential that's not apparently there in most of the animal world of being able to reflect upon our own experience we're not just absorbed in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, looking for food and protecting the body. We can, we, we have that, the faculty of, of wisdom. We can take a, 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 a an objective view, uh, we, uh, and we can contemplate our own experience, which apparently most animals cannot. So when the, the, the when the Buddha's teaching is talked about, it's for devas and humans, sata deva manusanang. It's the teacher of gods and humans. So the 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 Buddha isn't known as a teacher of animals. <laughs> so the animal world—I'm not denigrating animals or putting them down—but they've got extraordinarily complex and sophisticated perceptual systems. But I would say, for most animals, they can't reflect upon their own experiences of happiness and suffering. Um, it's uh, that's a capacity that, uh, as human beings, that we have, and so. Um, uh, a lot of spiritual practice and, and meditation is rev- is based around strengthening that quality, that aspect of our being. That's why monasteries exist. <laughs> it's a it's a kind of a camp to strengthen that uh, aspect of of uh, clarity of vision, being able to l- relate to our sensory experience um, without uh, without attachment, without uh, without reactivity and, and aversion. So that it's the 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 creation of perceptions is one thing, and then the contemplation of those perceptions and seeing how they work together that's another aspect of the mind so that uh, and that's uh, what we we say we, we come together to work at, in a monastery and meditation retreats and so on to strengthen those reflective uh, wisdom faculties
Okay? So, to continue. The detailed presentation of dependent origination contains 12 factors, which we're all very familiar with by now, I'm sure, <laughs> which are part of an interconnected cycle without a beginning or an end. There is no first cause, mula karna in Pali. For the sake of convenience, the Buddha chose ignorance, avicca, as the most suitable candidate to place at the start of the list of factors, but this is not intended to imply that ignorance is the first cause. Occasionally, to prevent the misunderstanding that ignorance is the first cause, quote-unquote, he inserted the following statement. With the arising of the taints, the asava, ignorance arises. With the cessation of the taints, with the cessation of the asavas, the outflows, ignorance ceases. So, yeah, the, the, and he particularly addresses that... Um, I'm not sure if that was his experience of living in the West and, and teaching in America. Um, and uh, yeah, America's got quite a, a strong presence of um, uh, biblical Christianity and uh, f- uh, fundamentalist Christianity. So he does talk quite a lot about this people mistaking the or looking for a first cause. And how, you know, Buddhism must have a first cause of the creation of the universe. So he does refer to that quite often. But it's uh, as he mentions here, it's quite... Uh, explicit in the Buddha's teaching, he says, "Yeah, there's no first cause uh, can be described uh, is, is is describable, and that's something that he says repeatedly. And that the um, uh, one of the four imponderables, the achinteya, is the an ultimate beginning of things. Is no 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 first cause is describable, which sometimes people find is a is a um, unsatisfying." But it's, uh, I, I feel that um, it's part of the Buddha's approach as he keeps the attention on that which is, uh, pertains to our doing the best we can with this life that we have right now. And he talks about dukkha and the ending of dukkha. So, no, uh, uh, avijja is not to be mistaken for some kind of first cause. The 12 factors of dependent origination, beginning with ignorance and ending with aging and death, are as follows. Avicca leads to Sankara, Sankara leads to Vijnana, Vijnana leads to Namarupa, Namarupa leads to Salayatana, Salayatana leads to Pasa, Pasa leads to Vedana, Vedana leads to Tanha, Tanha leads to Upadana, Upadana leads to Bhava, Bhava leads to Jati, Jati leads to Jara Marana. Ignorance leads to volitional formations, which lead to consciousness, lead to mind and body, to the six senses, and then to feeling, craving, clinging, becoming, birth, and aging, and death. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are the results of the cycle of dependent origination, arising in the minds of those who have mental impurities, asava and kilesa, when they are faced with aging and death. These results, however, take an active role by leading to a further increase of mental taints, asava, which are in turn the conditions for ignorance and a continued rotation of the cycle. In general, when presenting this detailed or applied quote-unquote format of dependent origination, comprising the entire 12 factors, the Buddha mentioned the forward sequence only as an introduction. When he wished to emphasize the direct experience of human suffering, he most often presented dependent origination in the reverse sequence. So uh, that, that he was he was start, start off with, uh, there is aging and death. Where does aging and death come from? How is that caused? Does it have a a cause or an origin, what's the, what's the condition, what are the causes that bring about aging and death. So he starts at 
that sort of number and you link twelve and goes back eleven eleven ten nine eight seven six five four three two one. So aging and death arises from birth. Birth arises from becoming. Becoming arises uh, from or is conditioned by clinging. Clinging is conditioned by craving. Craving is conditioned by feeling. Feeling is conditioned by sense contact. Contact is conditioned by the six senses. The six senses are conditioned by mind and body, mentality, materiality. They are conditioned by consciousness. Consciousness is conditioned by volitional formations, and that volitional formations are conditioned by ignorance. On some occasions, when he wished to highlight a particular factor, the Buddha began the detailed presentation with one of the intermediate factors. The presentation may begin with birth, or with feeling, or consciousness, and then be linked with the subsequent factors until the process reaches aging and death for the forward sequence, or is traced back to ignorance for the reverse sequence. Occasionally the process begins with a factor or problem not included in the group of twelve, and then is connected to the process of dependent origination. In summary, the presentation of dependent origination is not fixed and does not have to mention all twelve factors. Although the twelve factors are said to be interdependent and act as conditions for one another, this is not the same as saying they are causes for one another. As a comparison, there are more conditions other than the seed itself that permit a plant to grow. Soil, water, fertilizer, weather, and temperature all play a part, and these interrelated conditions do not need to follow a set temporal sequence. Similarly, a floor acts as a condition for the stability or positioning of a table. So, uh, um, also, uh, he's using the word taint, T-A-I-N-T, taint, as a translation for asava. Again, like dukkha, there's many different ways this is rendered. Um, the, the word asava it has uh, two primary um, sort of meanings or, or aspects to its meaning. One is that of flowing, or, or, or um, in a state of, of of, uh, kind of, uh, of change or flow like like a like a flowing stream asava, and also that of rot or uh, decay. Um, so uh, it's sometimes known as the out the asava as the outflows. Um, so that the word taint uh, it, it kind of represents the the idea of rotting. I B Horner's translation was the cankers. A canker is a kind of suppurating infection. Kind of leaking infection. Uh, Ajahn Tanisro likes the word effluence, effluence like a like a sewage flowing out of a, a drain pipe. Um, also, I think uh, uh, they um, Bur- uh, Burlingame translated them as as the corruptions. Um, so it's, again, there's no real perfect word. I, I tend to use the word outflows because the 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 mind sort of flowing out and getting lost into a, an object, um, uh, and uh, so that's the, the terminology I tend to use. But the, so it's one of those words. You, it's in a, in a way help, most helpful to incorporate the Pali into your own inner world. The outflows, the the asava. Um, but also, yeah, with this this last uh, section, he was talking about these different presentations. If you if you get, uh, he's a, a very systematic scholar. And uh, it's not mentioned here, but I think he uh, he sort of tabulated the different ways you find the different aspects of dependent origination in, in different formats 
throughout the, the Pali canon. And there's at least nine uh, different modes that you find them beginning in different places, running forwards, running backwards. As he said, sometimes starting with something um, <coughs> completely um, sort of uh, uh, um, uh, different or, or not usually included in the um, uh, in the in the, the classical twelve links. But um, for the uh, for the sake of simplicity and also um, consistency, uh, then that the, those twelve links that we have uh, up, you know, up on the walls here and that, that uh, are most commonly talked about, that's the most common representation and so easiest to remember. But uh, it is helpful to bear in mind there are there is a lot of variations and it's not just like a, a fixed uh, sort of one one model that applies to every situation. But it's a uh, uh, there's you know different aspects, different nuances, different ways that it, it uh, that that patterning appears in our lives and getting getting for a feel for how that sort of sequential process works um, is is very very helpful and all that, just as an example that one of the the and uh, uh, the book of the tens suda fifty eight uh, represented by the the tree then you know, it starts off with you know, some of the 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 uh, elements are there of um, sense contact you know, and feeling but then it, it goes uh, to concentration mindfulness and wisdom and, and deliverance and liberation so there, uh, there's, a, there's at least nine different formats and probably if you did a, 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 a fine detailed analysis you'd, you'd find a lot more but um, it's, it's not one single fixed pattern that, that is in, uh, in play also, I think that's quite a good example that he says that they're, they're not, as I was saying, it's not A causes B, B causes C, C causes D, but uh, like uh, there's a lot of different things, uh, conditions need to be present for a plant to grow. There has to be a seed. Without a seed, the plant can't grow. But the, what it's sitting in, the water, the nutrients, light, um, the temperature and so on, there's all these different things. And it's not just temporal, it's not just... You, you know, first you have the water, then you have the light, then after the light, then you have the nutrients. It's like they, they're all playing a part uh, in different ways um, and interrelated with each other. And so that uh, I think that's a, a good way of, of uh, picturing it. So any thoughts, questions? Don't be shy, please. These readings are for, uh, for all of you. Yes. So all factors need to be involved. Is it you have only a set of factors when dukkha arises? But my understanding was all of them are always present actually when dukkha arises. Can it be that you have only five of them instead of twelve? Um, well, uh, it's like uh, um, some of them might be very. Uh, might play a very brief part, or um, that uh, they have a, a smaller effect. Like a, you know, a seed might grow with uh, uh, less light than it would normally grow with, or it might have less nutrients than it would uh, it, it would usually flourish with, but it can get by with that. So uh, it's the the. the uh, in the Buddha's description of the of these sequences, yeah, sometimes whole pieces are left out. Sometimes whole extra pieces are added in. Uh, 
so that um, uh, so that like in in the classical form, you know, you have um, six the six senses, sense contact, and then and then feeling. Um, but you know, perception, sanya isn't mentioned, or vitaka, thinking isn't mentioned. But it goes straight from from Vedana to Tanha. So in other renditions, you have sanya is in there as well, or vitaka, thinking is in there, like in the description of of um, conceptual proliferation. So it, it's uh, also if something is not mentioned there in the list, it doesn't mean to say that it's it's not how, somehow playing a part in some way, but it's got a, maybe got a different label on it. But the uh, the essential ingredients are ignorance, <laughs> and then some quality of, of of attachment or identification, some kind of craving and grasping, and then some uh, quality of dukkha at the end of it. That, um, but it's also as a um, the the what I was saying uh, as the, the main sort of theme of that that other book the catastrophe apostrophe is that even if the the process has gone a certain way down the track um if it's if uh, uh there's awareness of that or if the mind works with that in a skillful way then uh, maybe you know there's avijja but if there's if the mind is well trained ignorance arises but maybe as soon as it ignorance comes into play then there's a, a lot of mindfulness and wisdom, and, the, and then so that then there's no sankara vinyana. The whole thing doesn't doesn't take off. So it's a so that's why I talked about the ex- different exit points in the cycle, so that some of the elements can be there, but the uh, the, the mind is not creating difficulty or, or dukkha out of them. For the but if it's the um, if it's the the dukkha creating pattern, <laughs> then I would say the the key pieces are ignorance. Craving and and dukkha are always going to be part of the mix in some way, but you know, so that like that that pattern with the with the tree, um, that's describing the, the you know the sensory experience of of a, of a sort of spiritually mature mind. Or that yeah, there's the body, there's the six senses operating, there's feeling, but there's no confusion about that feeling. There's no identification or attachment to it. It's headed by concentration, dominated by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom. So some of those factors are there, but it doesn't lead to craving, clinging, and and uh, sokaparideva dukkha domina supayasa. Yes. Um, could, could you give us five arguments as like a shortened uh, list of dependent origination? Trying to just... Uh, Yes, make sense of how those two models would fit together. Um, well, they're called the Upadana The, um, the well, <laughs> it's one of those things. They they, they overlap uh, uh, in various ways. So that Nama Rupa is a way of talking about the five khandas. So. Uh, Rupa is a, is the is the first of the five kandas, and Nama is the the latter four. So, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness—that's the Nama of Nama Rupa. Um, the uh, more, probably the best way of answering your question or responding to the question is that they're called the Upadana kandas, 
and so that some and again that has, sometimes has that very awkward uh, translation in English, which is like the the aggregates of grasping, um, of the aggregates of clinging, and, and you know, aggregate is a, a in, mostly in English in English that's used to refer to kind of gra- coarse gravel thing that you fill potholes with, <laughs> but uh, so. Uh, the um, the five khandas, the five rather than using the word aggregate, it's a kind of uh, I think the the groups of experience is a a khanda means a lump or a heap or a group. Um, the 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 city in in uh, Sri Lanka, Kandy, comes from the word khanda because it's on a hill, it's a lump, it's, it's a hilly area. So, and so the the uh, colonial powers. Uh, Spell it K A N D Y in, in, in Roman letters, but uh, it comes from being a hilly area, a lumpy area. So, um, so they, they call the upadana khandas. Um, they uh, so the the groups of uh, uh, that the mind grasps at, or they're, they're formed from the grasping tendency. So the, that which the mind grasps at, upadana khandas. Um, so a kanda is also like a, a, a group or a heap or a bundle, and the uh, the word upadana it means clinging. It also means fuel, like a, like firewood or petrol. So um, the the to call them the upadana kandas, it's like the five bundles of fuel, the, the five bundles of firewood. Um, so the five divisions of our physical and mental world um, that are ignitable, they're combustible, <laughs> they, they catch fire easily. And so um, that, uh, how that relates to dependent origination is uh, they are, they're combustible. So if tanha is around, that's like having a match <laughs> with all this burnable material. So if the match is brought, uh, is dropped into the, all these burnable things, then they're likely to catch fire and, and ignite. And so that uh, the, um, uh, with respect to, to this teaching, then it's uh, uh, the the encouragement then is to relate to nama rupa, the, you know, the five khandas, the the, the body um, and material form, the material world feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, um, to relate to that with uh, as much mindfulness and wisdom. And when any uh, craving arises, when tanha appears, then be careful not to drop the match into the, into the, the, the kindling or the, you know, into, the, into the hay barn, because you know, things will catch fire. So that... Uh, uh, that uh, there's a, a, a couple of suttas that are side by side in the. Then they, they, they probably were side by side. They're in separate places in the Anguttara Nikaya now. But um, where they, uh, they talk about, the Buddha talks about the image of tending the fires, like the, tending the holy fires, and uh, as an image, and, and saying that uh, in his teaching it's a matter of letting the fires go out. You know, not not keeping the fires alight, and then using that the the languaging of of upadana as fuel rather than keeping the fires going, then to to not uh, keep feeding the fires, but rather to let the let the fires go out so there is 
there's uh, coolness, nibbana, and that uh, <coughs> the uh, and there's another sutta that's related to that. It, as I said, they probably were side by side. There's theories they were side by side, but they drifted apart now. Uh, it's called the burden, the bhara in Pali, the burden, and it talks about the five khandas as a burden. Uh, you know that they're they're uh, they're difficult to carry around, and so the image of of the, the these five bundles of fuel and and the uh, uh, Richard Gombrich, in one of his his essays, he talks about this. If you imagine uh, a a disciple in the, uh, who's supposed to be helping a Brahmin priest with five bundles of fuel, you know, one on each shoulder, one under each arm, and one balanced on their head, and it's difficult to carry these five bundles of fuel around. And then he said, and if they're on fire, it's even worse. You know, the, the, if the, the bundles of fuel are burning, so that that. Um, the Buddha's encouragement in that sutta is to, to put the burden down, to let go of, uh, of the burden, so to not, and not identify, not create those feelings of I and me and mine around the, the body and the material world and uh, uh, the and sensations, uh, feelings, um, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. So that uh, I don't know if that helps. Uh, yeah, but I think the five hundred seems more like a practical uh, guidance, you know, dependence origination seems more like, um, uh, <laughs> I guess, more like second level truth. Kind of. It's describing how to relate to the five aggregates, uh, the five khandas, in a skillful way, so that uh, keep the matches away from the burnables. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, so uh, there's different the five the five khandas is one of the different ways that the Buddha uses to sort of slice the pie of our experiential world. So talking in terms of the six senses, like uh, uh, the this morning we we recited the the fire sermon, correct? Yes, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 fire sermon. So that's like slicing the pie into six pieces, like the the uh, of the pie of our sort of experiential field is in you know, the is in terms of the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind. Uh, you know, it can be sliced into five, as in the, you know, the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. It's just different ways of slicing the pizza you know, or the cake. It's a, and that uh, it's a uh, uh, and the Buddha uses different formats, just like these different formats of dependent origination, according to who he's talking to, the point he's trying to make, or what's the circumstance of, of giving the teaching. That uh, it, that, that affects the particular words that he chooses or the format. But they're all, they're all equally workable. It's not like the four noble truths is is more real than the the, the five khandas and, and each dukkha anatta, or it's more useful than the six senses and raga dosa moha and passion but they're they're different ways of approaching the the field of experience as it's known and a different languaging different uh say tools to to understand how that works and to you know learn through learning how things work then to guide our our actions and our attitudes towards what's uh, skillful and liberating 
So, seven o'clock has come around, so let's leave it there for today. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.